welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Show presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller with you on this Sunday. It's a decent week on the wire. There's a little bit of everything, but there's not an overwhelming amount of high-quality players to go after in most leagues. So if you are playing in like a 14-team mixed league or something deeper, there might be some shuffling to do. If you're playing in a 10-team league, (laughs) this might not be the best week to turn things over overall. Maybe there's a couple surprising cuts in your league. And of course, as always, send us your questions. If you're watching us live on YouTube, we're happy to answer those over the course of the show. But Beller, as we do most weeks, let's begin with the hitters. And I want to start with Brendan Rodgers, who I think of all the hitters we're talking about today, mm-hmm. probably has the broadest appeal of all. Uh, looking at the roster rates, he is available in 67% of CBS leagues. So for me, the question is now, are we looking at Brendan Rodgers as a viable option, as a middle infielder at least, in 12-team mixed leagues? I think we are. I, you know, we, we always knew that he had a uh, fair amount of talent. It was just a question of getting the reps at the major league level, staying healthy, getting a consistent shot at playing time. And he seems to be getting that, hidden in the top third of Colorado's order. For the most part, the stats are there enough where you're looking at him, I think, in 12-team leagues. I think he's... Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it, the way you said it. He's a middle infield viable. That's really what you're looking at. You probably don't want to, if he's... He's not crossing that second base threshold. We're not looking at him as a top 12 second baseman, obviously loose definitions. But when you throw in the middle infield designation as well, I do think that he qualifies there. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him stay there for the rest of the season, too. I think there's enough here, enough playing time here for him to take advantage of. So, yeah, I'm in on Brendan Rodgers in a 12-team league. Yeah, safe playing time already. And with Trevor Mm -hmm. Story likely to be dealt at some point before the trade deadline even more stability at that point for Rodgers. But I think the thing that really catches my eye with any player right now, whether it's someone who's promoted recently or even just in the last couple of years for the first time, is I want to see players with lower strikeout rates at AAA. I think that's the skill with hitters in particular that I am most interested in because we know there's going to be a pretty big jump making the move from AAA to the big leagues. If you're striking out 18 or 20% of the time at AAA, that's acceptable, but you're probably going to be at the 25 plus percent range, maybe even close to 30% when you face more advanced pitching at the highest level, especially if you're a young player doing that for the very first time. And if you go back and look at Rodgers, he was doing a good job with the K rate when he was promoted in 2019, 16.9% during his second run at AAA. Hadn't spent that much time there. was there at the end of 2018. And that to me just translates a lot better than the skills of, say, maybe a Keston Hira, as we've come to find out over the last couple of years, who was striking out at a high 20s percent clip, even though he was mashing at AAA when he came up. So I think, again, the the lower K rate from Rodgers in the upper levels of the minor leagues gives me a lot of confidence in him, at least as a steady middle infielder, even in more shallow formats. And I think he is absolutely one of the better options out there. A couple of home runs on the road this week, too, which is always nice to see for any Colorado hitter leaving Coors Field. Uh, But let's talk about another bat that I think has some growing appeal, and that's Miguel Andujar. I keep wondering if he's a better trade chip for the Yankees than someone who's going to continue to make an impact for Mm -hmm. them, but... Here we are, like maybe we're getting to this point where he's nudging the numbers back in the direction of where they were in 2018, which was an amazing season. That was a 27 home run season where he hit 297, 
There's a short list of guys that give you that much batting average and that much power, especially guys who are available on the wire. Yeah, and it's it, we've always been waiting for him to get back or to show any signs that he could get back to that kind of season. Of course, he's had limited playing time since that season, but we've been waiting for just signs that he was getting back to being that type of player. And now both of those things are removed. He is showing us some signs that he is getting back to maybe not the 297 and 27, but something resembling that type of player. He doesn't need to be 297, 27 to have fantasy value, to have fantasy relevance, but he can be something of that player. And again, another guy who is starting to get consistent playing time. So you like seeing that. He's never going to walk a ton, but the strikeout rate is acceptable. The strikeout rate going back to uh, 2018 and what we're seeing this season, it's acceptable. You can totally live with someone who's going to strike out in this day and age. If he's going to stick in the 21 to 23% strikeout rate area, you can totally live with that given all the other stuff he's also doing for you. So I do think that this is another guy who we're talking pretty viable across the board. Outfield, we still have a ton of injuries. I know that it's uh, something that maybe feels old to be talking about, but... Injuries are going crazy across the league, and it feels particularly heavy in the outfield where you have guys like Mike Trout and George Springer and Fran Mil Reyes who have been out for a long time now. And I think you get to a point where people who are trying to fill those outfield holes are just you know, reaching for anything, and they haven't found someone to fill those holes. Miguel Andujar, I think, someone who can do that and do it for as long as maybe you're trying to stick without Trout, without Springer, without Fran Mill, without Brandon Nimmo, without Michael Conforto, any of these guys who are still out for you right now. Yeah, I think what it comes down to Fran Duhar is also they're going to add an outfielder or two at the trade deadline. The Aaron Hicks injury has right. forced the need for them to go get a center fielder. They may want to get an upgrade for the corners, and then it comes down to Duhar versus Frazier, possibly, to keep a spot in the lineup. And Clint Frazier just hasn't been able to show the same power that we saw from him in the shortened season. We, I mean, we saw pretty decent power numbers from Frazier on a per-game basis in 2019 as well. In leagues where you've been patient with him, are you finally ready to part ways with Clint Frazier? I probably am. I mean, again, unless I'm just besieged by injury in the outfield. But uh, other than that, I do think that with everything you say with Andujar surging, with the fact that we just know this team is going to be going after outfielders in the trade market, and they should be a team that's active early. I mean, with the way they got to chase down the Rays and the Red Sox and the AL East and the way the AL wildcard is shaping up, it's simple to say, but sometimes it's worth reinforcing. Someone who you trade for on June 13th today can uh, – contribute, excuse me, more to your team than someone who you trade for on July 13th. So I do think that they should be aggressive early going after these guys. Maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe I'm right. But it all leads to me saying Frazier is probably someone who, if you're making moves, he can definitely be the guy on the chopping block. Yeah, it's kind of now or never for him to hit enough mm -hmm. to keep that role into the second half. Let's talk about Isak Paredes. He is back up for the Tigers. It's going to take me a long time to get used, getting used to pronouncing his name correctly. Uh -huh. Because everybody I know who spells their name that way is an Isaac, but it's Isak right. Paredes. I like that the Tigers are moving him around a little bit defensively. He's made consecutive starts at shortstop. He started five games in a row, eligible at third base most places. And he does exactly what I was describing earlier when we were talking about Brendan Rodgers, where you go back level to level in the minors, even at the AAA level, he doesn't strike out a lot. But he also draws plenty of walks. And I think this is the kind of guy that is going to hit enough and get on base enough where even though there are questions about where he fits defensively long-term, and even though I don't think he's really good enough to be a shortstop on anything other than a bad team, 
yeah. he's going to play. His bat is going to dictate that he is in the lineup. So I would say he's right in the thick of things for one of the better hitters you could pick up right now because I think the volume's going to be there and there's some still developing power that could go with the average and the OBP that he already brings to the table. Agree with you across the board. 22 years old, this Detroit team has nothing to lose in getting Isak Paredes in the lineup as much as they can. And let's remember, too, that he was part, you know, he came over uh, to Detroit from the Cubs. And he was part of that when the Cubs had all those infield prospects, when Javi Baez was just getting up to the majors, when they uh, shipped Glaber Torres to the Yankees for Roldis Chapman back in the World Series season. Obviously, he was not a prospect quite on the level of Javi and of Gleyber Torres, but he was part of that logjam of prospects that the Cubs had when those guys were coming up, when Chris Bryant was coming up, when Elo Jimenez went over to the White Sox for Jose Quintana. He was a guy who was, you know, a half step or a step behind those guys, and so... Now he's getting a chance to really put it all together at the major league level, and that's going to make him, I think, an interesting guy. And there's just so much skills growth. I mean, there's pl- plenty of room for power growth. There's plenty of room for skills growth as he gets accustomed to major league pitching. And again, we can't say it enough. This Detroit team has not only nothing to lose by playing him, they should be playing him every single day, but nothing to lose by bumping him up in the order consistently if he shows that he deserves it, if he shows that he should be getting more run in the top third of the order. So I think there's just a lot of reason to bet on the come with Isak Paredes for the remainder of the season. A very interesting guy, regardless of what you already have on your fantasy roster right now. And a player that could probably creep up in the order because of some trades, too. I mean, you mm-hmm. look at Robbie Grossman, maybe Jonathan Scope as, as two Scope, guys yeah. that are high in the order that will likely be playing elsewhere. Grossman especially. Grossman mm-hmm. makes sense for a lot. I mean, we just talked about the Yankees' need for, for corner help. You want a guy that gets on base and does a little bit of everything? Switch hits, yeah. Robbie Grossman, I think, mm-hmm. would be a great fit for the Yankees and, and plenty of other teams out there in need of corner outfield help. I know last week, Harold Ramirez was a pretty popular pickup in a lot of NFBC leagues. It's weird to me just how bad Cleveland has been at developing outfielders. Maybe they got lucky and found one off the scrap heap with Ramirez, but if you look back at the last couple of seasons, some of the hitters that have hit fourth and fifth in this lineup as they've just tried to find solutions behind Lindor and Ramirez and a few of the other players they put around those guys, it is baffling that they've had as much success as they had. All that's a long way to say Harold Ramirez getting that opportunity to be a middle third of the order option for Cleveland right now. What is your interest level in him in leagues where he's still available? Honestly, it's decently high DVR for a lot of the same reasons that with guys we've already talked about. He's going to play. He's going to hit in the middle of the order. This team has some real injury issues with uh, Fran Mel Reyes and Jordan Luplo both being out. I mean, he's going to get a real chance here. And like I mean, like you said, they've been desperate for middle-of-the-order bats for years. It's crazy the success that they've had as a team and that they're still having. I mean, you know, right? They ship out Lindor and Carrasco, and they still have all these issues in the middle of their order. And here they are, seven games over 500, going into play on June 13th. Still a very competitive team. They are just desperate. And this is a reverse situation from the Yankees. This team ain't making any moves. They are going to live and die with the team that they have right now. And so what that means is that Harold Ramirez has a very real chance to cement himself as something of a regular. Fran Mil Reyes, when he first got hurt, it was a five to seven week timeline. I want to say he's been out for like three, four weeks. Yeah, May 22nd was when he went on the IL. So what, like three and a half weeks or so. So assuming he's on track, he's coming back in, we can say about three weeks. That's plenty of time for Harold Ramirez to establish himself as someone who deserves consistent playing time in this lineup. And this team's desperate for offense. This team's competing. So 
This is a great opportunity. You buy on buy in on him while Cleveland is buying in on him. He could definitely stick around. And if he does stick around, he's going to be sticking in the middle of this order. So of the hitters we've talked about so far, would you rank them differently than the order we had them? We had them Rodgers and Duhar, Paredes, and Ramirez on the rundown. Would you shuffle anything about that? I think that's fair. I think that's probably the right way to look at these guys. Rodgers just provides the most across the board um, uh, value, and he has the surest line on for sure playing time at the top of the order. I think he's the easiest. I do think you could shuffle and Duhar Paredes and Ramirez. It's uh, a lot of similarities between those three guys, but I think Duhar deserves the most respect from us just because of what we've seen from him previously in his career. All right, let's talk about a few more players that are out there in a lot of leagues getting more opportunities. And we go to Seattle, where Jake Fraley is finally getting a regular opportunity to play. Unfortunately, it's because of the injury to Kyle Lewis and because of the demotion of Jared Kelnick. But Kelnick could come back in a few weeks and there could still be a spot for Fraley because of that Lewis injury. Lewis probably isn't coming back until sometime during the second half. He had surgery on his right meniscus. Fraley's been a little bit old for the level, but he's had injuries coming through the minors. He was a raised prospect, traded to Seattle a couple years ago. I think he was part of the Mike Zanino deal. And Fraley can do a little bit of everything. Most specifically, he can run. And Mm -hmm. given all the places we're looking for speed, he's at least on my radar in 15-team leagues this weekend. Four steals and 64 plate appearances. I, I mean, that says a lot, right? And he's hit fifth the last four games for Seattle. So it feels like a spot... That they're at least giving him some run in, seeing if he can hold on to, and that right there. I mean, right there. Right there. That's all you really need to say this is someone who you could be looking at in fantasy leagues. Obviously, we're going to be a little bit concerned uh, at the start for the batting average for the OBP. This could be a rate guy who hurts you a little bit, but you've got the speed, you've got the playing time, you've got the opportunity, and you've got a long-term run on things with him. As you said, the Kyle Lewis injury is going to keep him in this lineup. Maybe another team that... Come trade deadline time, there's going to be more consistent ABs available for the Fraley's of the world, more sure playing time in the second half of the season. Just another reason to feel good about him. Not going crazy for him, obviously, and I do I do think that this deserves to be you sort of hinted at it without hinting at it, right? That there's like a line of demarcation, the first guys we've talked about. I do think we're taking a step down when we get to Jake Fraley. That doesn't mean he has no interest to us in fantasy leagues, though. I, I really like what he's been putting together over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, whereas I think a lot of the guys we talked about up top might push more of like a 3 to 5% bid in a lot of fab situations. We're talking 1% to 2% probably with a lot of these other hitters, at least in mixed leagues. Certainly a more interesting group of players if we're talking about only leagues or 20-team leagues. We did have a question here from Stephen G. Would you guys drop Willie Castro for Isaac Isak Paredes in a 14-team dynasty league with 16 minor league spots? My snap reaction is yes. I think Willie mm-hmm. Castro overachieved last year in the shortened season. He was a player that I, I liked for really deep leagues. I didn't expect anything close to what he did over those 36 games. But when you look at his overall body of work right now, Beller, he's striking out 27.7% of the time as a yeah. big leaguer. He's a little bit older than Paredes. He's never walked as much. I just think his skills as a hitter, while Castro might have more defensive value that could lead him to playing time, Paredes, to me, is a much better long-term bet as a major league hitter. And that's what this is all about, right? When you're talking about the context that Steve puts this to us in, uh, you're really thinking about who's got the long-term appeal to me as a hitter. I think it's pretty comfortably Paredes. Even if Castro 
ends up being the better real-life player because of the defensive skills that he has, I think Paredes just has a much higher ceiling as a fantasy hitter. So that's the direction I would go to. We're talking a lot about Tigers. Thanks a lot for that question, by the way, Stephen. <laughs> Send them our way. We'll get to more questions throughout yeah. the hour. Uh, Daz Cameron is up right now, and the Tigers have a few injuries in their outfield, but just like they're making changes in their infield, they're at the point now where they're saying, hey, maybe we just don't need to play these guys who are 27, 28, 29, 30 years old. Let's start playing the younger guys and see mm-hmm. if we have long-term options here. So Daz Cameron, I think, probably plays slightly less than Fraley for now, in part because Fraley's a left-handed hitter, Cameron's a righty, and I think we have to see the Tigers give up on Nomar Mazzara, and they have to stop giving Eric Haas playing time as the DH. Like Haas has to catch more, Mazzara has to play less. It's it, not asking a lot. Like Cameron could end up with an everyday role in a matter of days, but I don't think you want to pay as though he has an everyday role right now. I think that's a fair way to put it, and I, I mean, with the with the Mazzara playing time has to be them like just praying that he puts together a couple of decent weeks and they can move him, right? I, I mean, other than that, there's no reason for this team to be playing Nomar Mazzara as consistently as it is, and so this is another guy who ultimately could have a lot of playing time open to him. If you look at you know Grossman getting moved, almost certainly, like we talked about, Scope could potentially get moved. I think Mazzara is a guy who could get moved if he does put together a couple of decent weeks and you know ends up being just a left-handed bat off the bench for a contending team. There's plenty of ways to have where we could be looking at a you know Daz Cameron, Isaac Paredes, Akil Badu, Willie Castro, uh, Eric Haas, top of the order for this team in the second half of the season. And if that ends up being the case, then those guys who we're talking about here, Cameron Paredes, become really interesting from the fantasy perspective because of the playing time and because of the volume that could be there. So I do think that Daz Cameron, mostly a volume play, keep things in check this week. As you said, we can't treat this as though he does have an everyday job. I'd be willing to bet by about the middle of July and certainly by the trade deadline that he does have an everyday job. Especially if he continues to improve as a hitter. I mean, I think the thing that we saw during his brief time this year at AAA Toledo, he cut the K rate down to 17.6%. That was a career best at any level. A pretty significant improvement from when we last saw Cameron in 2019 at AAA. And I was among the people that thought he was only going to spend about a half season in Toledo two years ago. I thought he was going to debut for the Tigers simply because their outfield was terrible then, and they would want to go ahead and start getting a look at him. I know he had an issue where he was benched for a few games. I forget what exactly that was about, but it was just a disappointing season for him in 2019 at AAA. Showed power, showed speed, but at 214 with a 330 OBP because of a 28.8% K rate, things certainly look like they're moving in the right direction for Cameron right now. Let's talk about Lamont Wade, now a member of the Giants and maybe getting a little more of an opportunity to play than I expected when they acquired him. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know, how do you think he fits into their outfield picture? Because with all the success they've had, bringing back basically veteran players that we thought were done as viable fantasy (laughs) contributors, I'm also intrigued by any younger players that they end up giving playing time to because they might not be the same players they were when they left their previous organization. I mean, they're pushing all the right buttons this season. And I think really what you are concerned about with Wade is what happens when this team gets healthy, because they're going to get healthy eventually. And obviously some of these guys are still a little a ways off, but you know, Tommy Listella, he's going to be back in the lineup eventually. Darren Ruff, He's going to be back in the lineup eventually. Alex Dickerson, he's coming back. So you start to get healthy and you wonder what's going to happen. 
I don't think that's something we need to concern ourselves with too much just yet because let's just look at what's going on with Lamont Wade. The dude's locked in to the everyday leadoff spot for the Giants. I mean, he's, that's it. It's just they don't even think about it. They don't. Th- they think about it just as little as they think about Buster Posey catching and hitting third. That's just a feature of this Giants team right now. And so as long as he's got that, as long as all these guys, Posey and Belt and Brandon Crawford, are drinking from the fountain of youth and throwing it back to the you know 2012-2014 glory <laughs> days of this franchise, he's going to have a ton of run scoring opportunities. And you know Mike Yastrzemski just off the IL, we should expect much better things from him uh, going forward for the remainder of the season. So there's just a lot, there's a lot to like about lo- what Lamont Wade can do for you right now. We have to understand that things could change as this team gets healthier and healthier, but we don't worry about that in this moment, especially considering what the bid's going to be. It's not going to have to be, you know, blow the field away to get him. Like, there's plenty of reason to get in on Lamont Wade at what the expected price should be as you're making your bids later today. Yeah, everything's really fluid in the San Francisco outfield <clears throat> in particular because yeah. as good as Mikey Stremsky's been, really going back to 2019, there's no certainty about Stephen Duggar or Mike Talkman. I mean, Mike Alex Talkman, Dickerson's yeah. down with a back injury again. Like, that's. There are several paths to play if Wade continues to hit and entering play on Sunday. Nine consecutive starts all atop the leadoff spot, as you mentioned. So really an interesting spot for him. I think I would actually probably look at Wade and Cameron Fraley in the same group, but I could see the case for actually preferring Wade to the other two. Yeah, I think that's what I would go with, too. And another line on playing time, he was playing first when Brandon Belt was on the IL. Not a ton, but... He's got that. He has shown the team that, you know, you need an emergency first baseman. Brandon needs to sit down for a game or we're going to an AL park. You want to DH him, get him off his legs. It's something he can do. And so that's just another way to get himself into the lineup. So a lot of good things happening with him. And I would say, give me him over those other guys. I mean, you know, we're we're in the middle of June, DVR, and this team has the best record in the National League. We have to accept it. Somehow they've done it. This team is what it is. This team is what it showed us. Lamont Wade's going to have a lot of run scoring opportunity on top of this lineup. Playoff odds hanging above 50% for the Giants. Definitely not something I thought I'd be saying as we approach the middle of June. Uh, You said Lamont Wade can play a little first base. Apparently Jake Bowers can play first base. And I don't know if he can hit, but he's got a new opportunity in Seattle. I think this probably pushes Evan White to AAA once Evan White comes off the IL because Evan White has been just unfortunately miserable as a big league hitter so far. So some time to push reset seems like a, a good idea for him. I don't see anything in Bauer's profile that gets me excited. He can get on base, but he doesn't hit the ball hard. Where are you rostering him? Is there any reason to be optimistic about him? I, I don't. With all due respect to the proud Papa Nando DeFino, <laughs> I do not think there's any reason. You know what I think of when I think of Jake Bowers? I think of the movie from our childhood, Little Big League, and there was uh, right like the prankster pitcher was named Bowers, his last name. And like someone yelling up at him, like when he tries to drop a water balloon on his head. And that's that that's the Jake Bowers experience. He's throwing water balloons out his hotel window at you from the moment you try to believe in him. And that's it. And and that's that's Jake Bowers. So, no, I am. I'm not rostering him anywhere. I hope things go better for him in Seattle than they've gone for him at his previous stops. But I don't really think there's any reason to buy in until he proves to us there's a reason. 
Yeah, it's the year of the Nando, but I'm not on board with Jake Bowers coming through for Nando. Uh, Billy McKinney has a reasonably new team. He's been bouncing around throughout the season. He's a Met right now. He's having a nice week, so I figured we'd throw him into the mix. Has anything really changed, though, with Billy McKinney? Because as that team gets healthier, his role quickly disappears. Exactly. I mean, if you need if you need some short term outfield help and you can't get any of these other guys we've talked about or your outfield situation isn't that dramatic where you want to spend five percent on Miguel and Duhar and you're fine doing a min bid and getting Billy McKinney for some short term help. Totally cool. I understand it. But this team's going to get healthy. He's going to get pushed to a bench role. And that's going to be that for him in the fantasy world. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing new for me with Billy McKinney. (laughs) Uh, Other player I want to talk about, though, is Ryan Jeffers. Good young catcher in Minnesota. Hasn't really done much yet this season, but with Mitch Garver's injury, the playing time is flowing right now for Jeffers. Two catcher leagues only, I think, is where I have to draw the line, though, even though I think longer term we could be talking about a guy who's eventually a top 10 or top 12 player at his position. Yep, I'm totally with you there. Right now, he's just two, he's a two-catcher league sort of guy. Maybe we see a little bit more from him, and he puts himself on the radar in one-catcher leagues as we get a little bit later in the season. If you're in a one-catcher league, even though it's not the best position, it's not you know totally bereft of talent. You can probably do better than Jeffers right now. But with the line on playing time he has, with the uh, uh, pedigree or with the uh, – uh, the potential that he might have uh, this season. He's definitely someone who you got to go after. Someone in a league can use Ryan Jeffers right now in all two catcher leagues. Yeah, that's the way I would say it works right now. Like a fringy top 30 sort of guy that with the injuries and everything plays in a decent number of two catcher leagues. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Bella, let's move on to pitching, where we've got a prospect that probably won't draw as much interest uh, as he would have drawn (laughs) if he were available last Sunday. It is a a difficult game, though, as we say all the time. And, boy, Jackson Coar felt that this week. And Mm -hmm. Jackson Coar's gum really felt that in his debut, as Alec Lewis uh, wrote about for The Athletic. But two starts, two innings, eight runs, eight hits, five walks. One strikeout, an ERA of 36, and a whip of 6.5. And if he were to stick around, the next two matchups, not a two-start week, but I just wanted to point it out on the screen, are home against the Red Sox and on the road against the Yankees. Now, anything's possible. The Royals may say, he conquered AAA. We're going to let him stay up. Great. I have no interest in him in those matchups anyway. Yes. Even if he pitched well, I was going to be very skeptical in both of those spots maybe home against Boston in really deep leagues would have been playable, but that's completely off the table. 
based on what we've seen so far. So it seems like a pretty easy pass for a guy that would have easily commanded a 10 plus percent bid in leagues if he were available in the NFBC format last weekend. It's a humbling game. That is absolutely true. I think that, I mean, we, we just really have, you know, our conversation with Alec Lewis to go on from an episode last week on this very show. Uh, and he sounded pretty confident that they weren't going to mess around with him too much, that it would take really getting blown up. Uh, that has obviously happened, but I think he still sticks in the majors. I also am with you. I have no uh, interest in playing him against the Red Sox or against the Yankees. But if I played in a league that didn't require me to start someone when I win them in fab, I would take a look if I see if I could sneak him through. If I can sneak him through for, you know, a min bid or slightly above a min bid, I would take a, I would take a shot at that because this is still a guy who, you know, first two starts notwithstanding, we have a lot of confidence in over the long term. And the long term could even just be the rest of the 2021 season. So if I could get him, don't have to play him against Boston, don't have to play him against the Yankees, just sneak him on through and maybe we're talking, we see a little bit of growth in these two starts. It's something I would consider. If I had to play him against Boston, I'd probably just sit it out. Yeah, be very careful if you're going to pick up Jackson Coar as a stash. Don't accidentally put him in your lineup because uh, <laughs> there could be some more pain on the horizon with yes. those two matchups uh, as his third and fourth big league start. Uh, I'm more intrigued, actually, by a lesser prospect in this case, Tony Stantion, getting a chance in the Reds rotation. Sonny Gray, of course, has a groin injury, so he's missing a couple of turns. Not crazy about the first matchup for Santion, though, so I think he's also kind of tricky. Maybe NL-only leagues for now is where you have to draw the line. If you look ahead to the following week, home against the Braves isn't a whole lot better either. So is this a case where even though we've got a guy who's had some success on his way through the minor leagues, like you want to temper expectations because the schedule is just too bad? I think you kind of have to, but I, I don't think that if you're interested in Santillan, I don't think his short-term schedule should push you away from him because you're not going after him as that sort of guy. We're not talking about him as just a streamer. We're talking about him as someone who maybe matters for you weeks down the line. And so I'm not going to let this scare me off of him. I will say that if I could pick him up and not start him against San Diego, I would be okay doing that. I would be maybe okay <laughs> skipping the Atlanta turn as well. But you know, you look at what he's done uh, in the minors this season, and the thing that should jump out at you is that even though he's made the leap from a double A when we last saw him in 2019 to AAA this season, he's cut the walk rate. And 9.2% is still a little bit higher than you would like to see, but he was at 11.6% at the AA level in 2019. So he shaved two and a half percentage points off of that. That's what, like actually 20% of his walk rate has come down uh, from 2019. And meanwhile, the K rate is spiking up in the mid-30s. So I think we're seeing some real growth from him this season. And so that should give you a little bit of confidence. As you said, with the Sonny Gray injury, we figure he's going to get some run in this rotation over the next month. I still make this play, even if I have to go and uh, start him against the Padres. See, I think for me, I mean, he's not going to be available in NFBC formats, so you have to wait another right. week to get him there. But in a league like Tout Wars, where I have to pick him up and play him, mm -hmm. I'm okay with it if I'm desperate. A lot of leagues don't have those rules. I mean, at San Diego, it's still a really good place to pitch park factors wise, even though it's a difficult place to pitch matchup wise. I think yes. it's a, a matchup I'm avoiding outside of NL only leagues is where I have to draw the line, at least for now. But I'm, I'm intrigued by what he's been doing. Plenty of strikeouts at AAA so far this season. Let's talk about Patrick Sandoval, who I think has broad appeal temporarily because he has a home start against the Tigers. And I think with Sandoval, 
I just want to see the pitch mix change. His slider grades out really favorably. His curveball is an above average pitch. Everything else is below average. The command is about average. To me, that's a pitcher that works in a spot against a bottom five offense. Mm -hmm. And until those young Tigers start to hit a little bit more, (laughs) that's basically what they're going to be. They're going to be a streaming target. So I'm in on Sandoval, and I think he has the most short-term appeal of any of the three pitchers we've talked about so far. Yeah, totally with you on that because of this matchup. And we're now we've seen him for what, 27, 30 innings or so in the majors this year. And he's striking out about a batter per inning. It's a little bit of an increase from last year. It's uh, about where he was in 2019. I think with what we've seen from him over those three seasons covering about 100 innings, we can say that he's relatively safely a strikeout per inning guy. And so you start from that foundation with a good matchup. And you should be pretty happy with that. I mean, I think you you like that as a guy who maybe you're only pitching this week against Detroit, but that's totally fine. Even in this environment where it seems easier and easier to find fantasy relevant and fantasy viable pitching this season than maybe any season that any of us playing fantasy baseball this year has ever seen in our lifetimes. That's still a guy who can clear the bar with what he's got coming against Detroit. So I'm with you. A lot of short-term upside for him here. A lot of short-term appeal, really, is what I mean to say. I'm not sure how long I'm holding on to him beyond this start against the Tigers, though. Yeah, looking ahead at the schedule, if he sticks around, it would likely be, after a couple of off days next week, a start against the Rays next weekend. So I'm not sure I'm, I'm, or not next weekend, but two weeks from now. Yeah, time time flies, but uh, (laughs) it does, man. He's pretty fringy for a matchup against a team at that level, but he's Mm -hmm. absolutely in for me against bottom end teams like Detroit. Remember Kobe Allard as a prospect in Atlanta system? I I was uh, waking up this morning seeing his name as man. This is a this is a blast from the past. Let's talk about some Kobe Allard here. Yeah, he he looked kind of interesting after the Rangers acquired him from Atlanta a few Mm -hmm. seasons ago, and. Last year was a disaster. I mean, almost a strikeout per inning, but 20 walks, a 775 ERA, a 151 whip. So that probably led a lot of us to just say, yeah, okay, we don't want Kobe Allard around. <laughs> but he's pitching really well. It's been a lot of relief appearances. He's made 13 appearances this season, three starts. But in 34 innings, 37 Ks, nine walks, four home runs. So a little bit of a home run issue, but really good results. I mean, a 291 ERA, a 112 whip. And now he is in the rotation, and he just won against the Dodgers on Saturday. So five innings, back-to-back times out. We're not really looking at him as a guy that has overwhelming innings concerns, and he's done it. He's pitched well against two good offenses in, in those starts with the Dodgers and Rays. What's your interest level in him with a home start against the Twins? It's actually decently high DVR and this Twins team, you know, as much of a disappointment as they've been, they can still hit a little bit, but I'm not letting that scare me off of Allard. Something else you uh, should look at with him is that, you know, choose your ERA estimator, whichever one is your favorite. Allard's doing just fine at 3.42 Sierra, a 3.58 XERA, uh, his FIP is sitting at 3.30, a 3.57 XFIP. I mean, no matter which one you like, there's reasons to like one, there's reasons to like another, pick any of them, and he's doing decently well there too. A lot of it's got to do, of course, with the strikeouts and the fact that he's cut the walk rate so dramatically this season, but again, this I think this points to some growth in a guy, and you say, remember when Kobe Allard was this prospect with Atlanta, right? And it's, it's easy to forget that we're talking about a guy who turns 24 two months from today, August 13th is his birthday, he'll be 24 years old, so... 
He's 23. I mean, we're talking about a 23-year-old guy who maybe feels in our head a little bit older just because of how early in his life he was relevant to us in this discussion. So I'm definitely in on taking a chance on him. Someone who can be a guy who matters to us starts and starts and starts down the line here. He's a command over stuff guy for sure. That's always Mm -hmm. been part of the story with Allard. Uh, the cutter that he's throwing right now is like his best pitch kind of by far, which is surprising because his curveball from a scouting report perspective was always supposed to be that out pitch that he was going to bring. Uh, the other question I guess that's related here is how much are you fearing the Twins offense right now? I mean, numbers wise, they're still productive as a group. I think a 106 WRC plus ties them for sixth in the league, striking out 23.4% of the time. Even though they, as a team, are not winning as much as we expected, they still look like a matchup that is above average in terms of difficulty for starting pitchers. Still one I'm afraid of. I mean, the problems with this team are in the rotation, really. Um, Their offense isn't quite to the level that it's been in recent seasons, but you're still talking about, you know, Polanco and Donaldson and Cruz and Trevor Larnick's been hitting pretty well, Miguel Sano, Kirilov. I mean, this is still going to be a scary matchup for any pitcher to go into. But I think Kobe Allard has earned the benefit of the doubt with what we've seen from him this season. So it's not my favorite spot to go claim him on waivers and throw him right into my lineup against. I would love for him to be facing Detroit or someone like that. But I'm not letting that scare me away from going after him and playing him this week. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the Twins' problems are clearly rotation-based for the <laughs> most part. So uh, you're still trying to tread very carefully with yeah. a lot of your pitchers going up against them. So Allard, for me... If I pick him up in an AL-only league, sure, I'll start him in an AL-only league. If I pick him up in a 15-teamer, it's probably for the start against Oakland next week. And i got to be in a pretty odd set of circumstances to stash a guy for one start next week who doesn't have (laughs) a lot of strikeout upside. Another question came in here from uh, Steve, another Steve G, a different Steve G. Jackson Coar versus Patrick Corbin to stash and hope that it comes together. I mean, Patrick Corbin on your teams this year has been a miserable experience with a few little glimmers of hope that are just enough to get you to keep activating him more than you probably should. And I, I don't know where to go with this one. Like I, I have, I have this situation in a league where I could probably go get Coar and drop Corbin to get him. Uh-huh. I need the innings right now in that league. So I'm more inclined to say Corbin is safer in that regard, even mm-hmm. though Coar mm-hmm. pretty clearly has the higher ceiling of the two. Definitely the higher ceiling, but I feel like if you're really hoping for things to come together for one of them, as bad as Corbin's been this season, I'm still going to take the guy with the tons of major league experience, the guy who's not going to get sent down. I'll still lean on him over the highly touted prospect who has been knocked around in his first two starts, who could also get knocked around in his next two starts, as we talked about. And I think there's a non-zero chance of Coar getting run by Boston, getting lit up by the Yankees, and the Royals saying, you know what, maybe he, he as good as he was already, he could use a little bit more seasoning at the AAA level. So don't love it, but if you're just crossing your fingers and hoping one of them figures it out, Corbin would be the guy for me. Yeah, um, I'm Corbin over Coar. I don't want to be. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the Keeper Dynasty League, Coar is the, right. the way, right. but I don't think that was the the point of of that particular question uh, let's go to brady singer for a moment man we're talking a lot about so many royals today he <laughs> royals also gets tigers. the tigers yeah it's the royals and tigers show here on the athletic fantasy baseball podcast come one come all cranking up the ratings with a lot of tigers <laughs> and royals talk mariners talk brady singer gets the tigers matchup though as well and 
I would say compared to Patrick Sandoval, I mean, I like Sandoval a little more, but they're in the same tier in terms of by bidding interest. Singer's probably more of a one-and-done guy for me. It's two pitches. I I don't think he's ever going to be special over a prolonged stretch without a third pitch. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to have to develop. But I look ahead at the schedule beyond that. I mean, next week he's got the Yankees on the road. I'm not using him there. So he's on the roster against the Tigers. He's off the roster against the Yankees. Would you stream him in a league as small as like a 12-team mixture, though, if you're just desperate for wins and Ks? I would. I think I would because of the matchup here. I think you can go. You, you do have some pretty decent K and win upside getting him against the Tigers. I think an interesting thing to think about here, and I'm not even really sure where I go with this, is if you're talking about a guy like this, a guy who you know is one and done for you, there's not a chance you are keeping him uh, next week against the Yankees. And even if it wasn't the Yankees, it's more that he needs a Tigers matchup to be relevant to you. How much are you willing to go for a guy like that? Because there has to be a point where you say, if someone outbids me, you know, so be it, no matter how much I love the matchup. Yeah, I, I think it's... If I have a $1,000 budget on a guy like Singer, it's like 11 bucks, 12 bucks. Yeah. It's not... It's not a lot. I, if I'm desperate for starters, maybe I bump it up to the the two percent range. But that's that's all I want because mm-hmm. he can get, he can get hit by a bad team. Like that's any I mean anyone right. can, but he's right. he's sketchy enough skills wise where that could absolutely happen. So I'm mm-hmm. not gonna go overboard and fab for the privilege to uh, stream <laughs> Brady Singer. And, like, and so that's where it comes in, right? Like we have these discussions because that's what we do. And we talk about these guys and, you know, Brady Singer with this matchup against Detroit is relevant to us. But, you know, we, we have to, I, I think it's, it's worth pointing out that these are still 1% bid guys. So don't go too overboard just because we love the Tigers matchup and we can, you know, sink pins to what a great uh, upside he's going to bring to you with strikeouts and potentially getting a win in this. Like, you still want to keep everything in check. We're talking 1% players at this point. Yeah, um, absolutely with you there. Not going any higher than that, really, with Brady Singer anywhere. (laughs) All right, Beller, let's get back to it with... John Lester. Would you care to say a few nice words about John Lester <laughs> in his two-start week with home matchups against the Pirates and banged-up Mets? Can the nice words I say about John Lester go back to you know, like 2016, 2015? Can, no, it doesn't do they help have to us. Be, they have to be 2021. Hey, I mean, great matchups, right? These are great matchups uh, against Pittsburgh and a still banged-up Mets team, although getting a little bit healthier, but still... If you're going to draw up a two-start week for a National League pitcher, you couldn't do a whole lot better than this. So the inning should be there, right? That's something that even as he's gotten older and less effective, John Lester has always been a dude who can go out and give you five, six innings uh, so long as he's not getting knocked around in those first couple of innings. So there is something there. There's something here. I think he's an easy play in maybe even just 15-team mixers. I think I could get on board with him. But again, as a you know, 1%, 1.5% play, and if someone beats me to him, someone beats me to him. I-, I love the Pittsburgh matchup, of course. So if you are thinking about Brady Singer, are you more interested in Lester because you get two turns, more volume, next to crack at a win? Yeah, yeah I-, I think I-, I do think that that's the case here, even though Singer's going to have more individual strikeout upside, uh, right? Like, chances are Lester over two starts gives you more than Singer in one. So yeah, I would probably go for Lester first in that situation. All right, a bunch of other names that I thought were going to be interesting, but Tristan McKenzie, who looked like he was turning a corner, had 15 Ks in his previous two starts, mm-hmm. recorded two outs on Saturday. So, <laughs> yeah, not sure how confident I would be about that matchup against the Orioles because home home against Baltimore, that would generally be good. 
Yeah. I just think Tristan McKenzie with his command has just been so out of whack this season. I can't trust him against anybody, and that's really frustrating because I thought he was going to be a key part of this Cleveland rotation. Getting himself into so much trouble with that lack of command. I'm going to say it right here. June 13th, 2021. Get in on Tristan McKenzie in 2022. I think you get this guy more work with the Cleveland pitching infrastructure that we know to be very good among the best in the game. This is a guy who just needs to grow a little bit, figure himself out, figure his stuff out, figure his pitch mix out. I am confident that that staff can bring out the best in him eventually. It's hard to do it in season. You give him another off season to work with all those coaching staff, all that great infrastructure that they have in Cleveland. And I think you feel pretty good about what this guy can bring to the table in 2022. It's just hard to do on the fly in the middle of the season. Whereas we said, Cleveland competing once again, seven games over 500. I don't love this start against a Baltimore team that not a bad matchup at home, but this team can run into a lot of power. So I would be afraid of McKenzie in this one. I think with McKenzie, he might be the kind of pitcher if I'm buried in the ratios category in a roto sure. league, if I'm down in ERA, down in whip. In those situations, maybe I will keep throwing that dart because I do think long term there are reasons to be interested. Cleveland's pitching development certainly is one of them. And I think McKenzie entered that system with more to work with than guys who've had a lot of success. Yeah. I think when you said, who is the better prospect day one in the Cleveland system? Tristan McKenzie or Shane Bieber, most people would have said, well, Tristan McKenzie, mm-hmm. which, you know, now obviously <laughs> Bieber took those leaps and right. it's not, they're not even in the same conversation within 50 to 100 spots of each other, maybe in starting pitcher rankings. Mm-hmm. All that's to say is like, it does take time. And I think one thing that I've tried to really get myself used to is the young players that could have spent time at AAA last year either got pushed up to the mm-hmm. big leagues, whether they had success or not, their development is just a mess right now. And we're going to see some really odd results from players, some who've debuted and some who've not. And I wonder if some of that's going on with McKenzie, even though on the surface it looked really good last year when he made, I think it was five or six starts in that Cleveland rotation. Let's talk about Tucker Davidson, uh, Atlanta, giving him some opportunities Home against the Red Sox, home against the Cardinals. We never want to willingly choose to start a pitcher against Boston if we can help it. But is the second start, in this case, good enough to make you confident in the first one? I think it is. Uh, you know, there's really nothing to be afraid of in that in that um, in that St. Louis lineup. They are getting a little bit healthier with uh, Paul DeYoung coming back in this weekend series with the Cubs, but. It's definitely not a matchup that scares me. Now, what does scare me a little bit is just that Tucker Davidson in his, what, three starts in the majors hasn't shown us a ton of strikeout ability. So you're not expecting to get a lot of that out of him in this two-step. And again, the Boston matchup, very tough. But uh, Atlanta, uh, even though they've struggled at this point of the season, you're still going to have a decent amount of win upside. You get two bites at the apple with him going against Boston and St. Louis. And again, really like that second matchup. So that one's good enough for me to uh, want to take on the Boston matchup. I'll take the dive on uh, Tucker Davidson at a 1% this week. Yeah, and Davidson looks like he has good stuff, so he should start to miss should a few should, bats. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the fastball is nothing special, but everything else, the secondaries actually look pretty good, and the, the mm-hmm. command's not bad either. So uh, I'm actually somewhat like long-term encouraged by what he could do, even though the initial returns in that strikeout department have been light. I mentioned Tristan McKenzie only getting two outs in a start. He wasn't the only Cleveland pitcher to do that in the past <laughs> week. Uh, Giancarlos Mejia did that as well, and he's lined up for two turns. 
He gets the home start against Baltimore and a road start against Pittsburgh if if he's in the rotation for both of those turns. Fifteen teamers for a buck. Yeah, fifteen teamers for a buck. Definitely. I mean, again, that like Baltimore is. They've got power in that line. So you could you could have a bad night. You could walk a few dudes, and suddenly you give up a three-run homer to Trey Mancini and a two-run homer to DJ Stewart, and what should have been a decent matchup blows up in your face. So that worries me a little bit about Baltimore-Pittsburgh. I have no concerns about them homering me to death. Um, but this is still a very nice uh, two-step for him. And again, I don't mean to keep saying it. It's Cleveland team probably a little bit better than you think. Those are two. That could, you could, that could easily be 10 innings, 10 strikeouts, a 3-6 ERA, a 1-2 whip, and two wins for Mejia. And so I, I do like taking a shot at him this weekend. All right, let's keep digging around at the bottom of the barrel. How about <laughs> Sam Long, who honestly I had never even heard of prior to Fantasy Baseball in 15 <laughs> on Friday when he was on the rundown. Started digging in a little bit. Was surprised by the strikeouts. Like That was a, yeah. a very pleasant surprise. He could get two starts. Kind of similar to that Mejia situation where mm-hmm. innings and the confidence level in him making both of those starts is certainly not locked in but mm-hmm. not bad spots both being at oracle park with arizona and philadelphia visiting san francisco so what are you doing with sam long yeah i feel like i could basically cut and paste what i just said about mejia and say the same thing for long this is as much a play on san francisco having like a five and one week as it is on long having a very good uh two start week for uh for himself personally so i just think this is a good good time to bet on the Giants with these two teams that they've got coming into town this week. So if I can get in on almost any pitcher, I want to do that. Obviously, I'm not getting in on Kevin Gausman or Alex Wood or Anthony DiScalfani, so I'll get in on Sam Long right here. And for what it's worth, the Stuff Plus numbers that Eno talks about a lot, the model that he put together with Max Bay, uh, it it likes Mejia quite a bit more than Long, just to give you... For guys that I haven't seen a lot, especially... I like to lean on on stuff plus and command plus just to get a better sense for just how useful or how bad they might actually be. So take that for whatever you think it's worth. But I think if you're looking at both of those guys, Mejia gets the slight preference for me based on what we're seeing in some of those underlying numbers. There's one more Cleveland pitcher out there. I don't think you can use him anywhere. Maybe he's viable in AL only leagues. And it's Cal Quantrill. The slider's good and the command is good and there's really nothing else to get excited about right now. And I, I think it's strange looking at, at Cleveland, seeing some of the the issues they've had. I mean, I know Zach Plesak had the freaky thumb injury rigorously taking off his shirt. Is that what they, how they describe the injury? <laughs> how rigorous can you take off a shirt? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like I, I mean, now so we're, getting I, into, we're getting into areas of Zach Plesak's personal life that I don't know if we want to tread into uh, when you're thinking about it in that way, but Strange stuff going on with that for sure. I've in so all right. This is this is too much information, but it's not <laughs> terrible. I am I am six foot two. I've taken off a shirt once with a ceiling fan over my head and clipped my hand on the ceiling uh-huh. fan because I forgot I was standing under a ceiling fan. <laughs> kind of my uh, you know Liz Lemon's boyfriend moment, except I wasn't on a helicopter, so you know I'm I'm okay. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is I can accept like being a little clumsy, like taking a shirt off because I have I've hit a ceiling fan taking a shirt off before. Yeah. The way they described it, though, it didn't sound like that's what happened. It's it sounded like he was very upset about something or in some kind of yeah. bizarre situation. And maybe I an don't amorous know, could have been an amorous situation that he was in DVR and just getting excited. 
often often is you know these <laughs> these mystery injuries i think uh, have have a lean like that all that to be said uh, cal quantrill <laughs> cal quantrill probably not i'm probably not going jumping in on him here I, i'm with you on that yeah it's just it's the innings <laughs> Like yeah. Two innings last time out against St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Even if they give him two starts, he's basically starting a bullpen game. So, yeah. <sighs> AL only innings like against good matchups. That's about all you're going to get, I think, from him. A couple relievers to think about. I think we talked about Paul Fry. Was that two weeks ago or three yeah. weeks ago now? Because mm-hmm. they decided that Cesar Valdez wasn't going to close anymore, which... All right, so you need a righty earlier in the game. Paul Fry looks like the kind of guy that's going to be in someone else's bullpen in the next four to five weeks because he's been excellent so far this year. How about a 34 to 11 strikeout to walk ratio, an ERA under two, a whip just above one? I think you could throw him in your lineup for the next month and maybe get four or five saves, but that's about all you're going to get before he's pitching the seventh inning for a contender. And that assumes that he gets all of Baltimore's save opportunities, which is, you know, maybe somewhat safe. Maybe he gets 80% and, you know, Cole Solcer gets the occasional opportunity uh, for this team, but he's the best reliever on this team. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see him get the majority. And as you said, right, I mean, let's audition him. Let's see what we can get. We Let's drive up the price of uh, Paul Fry, of Cole Solcer. I mean, we should be seeing a lot of these Baltimore relievers as they try to move these guys out of town and get what they can for him. So I think Paul Fry is a nice guy to take a look at this weekend, as you said, before he ultimately is setting up for a contender. Maybe you missed out on Paul Fry and he was already scooped up in your league. Well, there's a new Paul Fry, sort of. Jose Cisnero, I think it's partially mm-hmm. because of the Michael Fulmer injury. The Tigers have been rolling with a committee pretty much the entire season so far. What's your interest level in Cisnero? Is he AL only leagues only, or do you think about him as a very deep mixed league option too? Yeah, I think he's a deep mixed league option. I think uh, just because of the fact that he could be the guy getting the bulk of the save opportunities uh, with Fulmer out, and then he'll eventually get moved also if he pitches well enough. But this is how we treat saves. I think all these guys that we talk about, Paul Fry, no offense to these guys, Jose Cisnero, is a great argument for save holds, something I have come to embrace over the last few seasons, and we can have a discussion about why holds are maybe the worst stat in the world, which I would admit, but I think there's a lot of value in having holds as part of a fantasy league because of the way it reverse engineers fantasy value for the best relievers. That's basically my uh, elevator pitch on save holds. Uh, But with all that said, I think we should take a shot on Cisnero being the guy who handles the ninth inning for Detroit for the most part until we see Fulmer back on the mound for this team. And so right there, that gives him fantasy value. That imbues him with some sort of fantasy value across the board. So uh, speaking as someone who spent a bunch on Michael Fulmer in top wars only to see him go on the IL like two days later, could see myself getting in on Cisnero a little later today. Well, I hope he gets healthy because I think Fulmer in the bullpen is really interesting. And I also think Fulmer, like kind of like Paul Fry, would be traded at the deadline to a contending team. Sure. And then someone like Cisnero emerges to take the larger share of the committee down the stretch. I mean, Gregory Soto could still be part of that as well. I think the saves plus holds thing, it's kind of like the, the Jim Gaffigan joke about shampoo and conditioner where people were washing their hair too often. So then conditioner had to be invented to offset that. So <laughs> instead of like taking something and, and just doing, making it less valuable, like saves, we just add uh-huh. something to it. It's like, well, this this is bad too. We don't need both of these things. Let's just make saves less valuable somehow. Maybe put yeah. half the weight on the category or or do something on the back end like that. But uh, yeah, that works. I don't know. But Shampoo the thing I like about holds is that the way the game has gone, right? We have all these 
Uh, I mean, I'll take the Cubs as an easy example. Like, look at what a great, like, legitimately great season as we define great seasons in 2021 for relief pitchers that you're seeing from Ryan Tapera and Andrew Chafin and guys like that. And they have true real life value that is not at all reflected in the fantasy game unless you throw holds in. Holds are the worst stat in professional sports. I don't care what sport you want to talk about, holds are terrible. But by valuing them, they force us to put some value in Andrew Chafin, who has been very important to the Cubs, in Ryan Tapera, who has been very important to the Cubs, in a guy like Giovanni Gallegos, who has been awesome, one of the best relief pitchers in the league this year for the Cardinals, who just doesn't have a ton of value unless Holtz counts. So that, that, that's why I like him. That's why I like him in the fantasy world, even though I hate them in real life. Yeah, maybe we make up a better version of Holds and go with that. Or one of the thought I just had was, what if we had a... So we have innings requirements in leagues, right? You got to get to 900 or 1,000 innings in a lot of leagues. That's usually more of like a mono-league thing, so you don't just go nine relievers. But what if you had a set number of innings you had to reach that came from relievers? You know, so, so and, and, you, and you structured it where it's yeah. like, you, you're going to have to use three relievers to get to, or maybe even That's four, nice to get like to that, that. number. So if you get saves, like you can still have saves as a category, but it, it's it's pushing you to use those other relievers that are going to help your ratios and help your Ks, and it's just forcing you to solve a different problem. Again, yeah. without taking a stat that I think you and I both hate and making <laughs> that a part of our game, because what's going to happen is we're going to add that, and we're going to get to use those relievers we want, and then we're going to hate the fact that holds are so stupid <laughs> three or four years from now, and we're just going to have to change it again. Yeah. So we should just change it and fix it the first time the right way yeah. and not have to fix it twice. That's a creative way to do it. I like that. Or you could like force people to build a real life staff where you were limited to having five starters, where you could have nine pitchers, but only five of them can be starting pitchers, something like that too. Yeah, and I, people are out there listening are like, well, there's a bunch of leagues that require to use RPs. And it's like, I think the only issue I have with that is once guys start a game and relieve a game in a lot of formats, mm -hmm. they become eligible as both and yeah. you can just game that system. So yeah. we're close, but... <laughs> I, I just I don't want to commit to holds as the thing that makes more relievers valuable because I hate holds so yeah, much. It's fair. It's fair. Well, we have to go. But before we go, I should say you can subscribe to The Athletic for $3.99 a month to start at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. All the articles we write, including Scott Engel's waiver wire piece that goes up each and every week. You got my minor league piece that just went up, I think, yesterday. I filed it yesterday. I didn't even look to see if it was up yet. Funston, get on it, buddy. I think I think Funston got it out there. Eno stuff, Al's <laughs> weekly planner, all that stuff, all available three ninety nine a month to start at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast plus fantasy football season just around the corner. And if you're oh, into yeah. soccer, the Euro twenty twenty, which got of course delayed last year, that's going on right now. Our coverage for that is outstanding as well. On Twitter, he's at M Beller. I am at Derek Van Riper. That's gonna wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Show. Under the radar is back on Tuesday. Thank you.